We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly chess interview show with accomplished chess players, authors, personalities, and adult improvers where they discuss their lives, their careers, and share tips about how to improve at chess. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. So without further ado, let's get to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Adult Improver edition of Perpetual Chess. Before we introduce our guest, I have a few reminders slash announcements for you all. Number one, if you're listening to this podcast, maybe you clicked it by accident, or more likely you're interested to some extent in adult improvement in chess. If that is the case, please make sure that you're subscribed to How To Chess, my new project uh, in collaboration with Chessable. You need to subscribe on a separate feed or through howtochess.com, but uh, we want that one to be just as popular and beloved as hopefully Perpetual Chess is. So uh, rating and reviewing and subscribing and all of that stuff is much appreciated. I think you guys will enjoy it. It's nice and short, and you can listen to it if you're on your way to a tournament or you have a shorter commute and stuff like that. Uh, number two, friend of the pod, Neil Bruce, has been... Uh, preparing for his pawn book championship for a long time. And I just wanted to give you guys fair warning. We've got it scheduled. So that will likely be coming out in late August. Um, Neil has been reading like all these books in order to sort of give you all a report of how best to spend your time. So I think that's pretty, pretty awesome that he's doing that. And Neil's always popular here on the podcast. He's helped with a couple of um, book recaps as well. So uh, stay tuned for that. And with, with those announcements uh, out of the way, let's introduce our guest. He is a 35-year-old radiologist and a father of two young kids. He is also a chess enthusiast and an accomplished adult improver. He's been focused on his Lee Chess Rapid Games and has increased his ratings from the 1500s to the 1900s in just the past year or so. Um, our guest's approach, from what he has told me, is a lot different from other improvers. Um, he, so I'm eager to hear more about his methods. We'll let him tell him about it. Uh, tell us about it. So without further ado, let's introduce Dr. Courtney Fry. Courtney, thanks for joining us. Oh, hey, Ben. It's uh, great to be here. I love the podcast. So thanks for having me on. 
Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited. And you, you, uh, you know, we've had some correspondence. Some regular listeners might recognize your name as you've submitted an occasional question as a Patreon supporter. So it was nice when you actually sort of outed yourself as someone who's made a lot of progress in their game. Yeah, yeah, that's it's definitely been very exciting. Um, uh, I I was kind of one of those people that I played when I was a kid, and then um, as an adult, I I kind of either took a break or just like didn't really improve for years and years and years. And then just um, recently have been kind of making a lot of improvements. So, Yeah, that's great. And just to give listeners a bit more context. Um, so in your Renaissance, uh, you haven't tried a tournament yet, right? You've been st- uh, sticking to online. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. I actually really want to play in person, but um, part of the issue was COVID when I kind of started this thing. Um and then uh, now I'm I'm kind of on the hunt for uh, in-person tournaments, uh, but it's something I haven't done as an adult, so I might have to uh, reach out to someone and figure out uh, what the best way is to to find tournaments in my area. So, yeah, since you're in Columbus, Ohio, I know that uh, an adult improver I interviewed a couple years back, Stacia Pugh, is in Ohio. Maybe she could help out. Shout out to Stacia. But I know that relative to the sort of um, it's not like a huge population center, um, even though there's a few uh, decent sized cities in Ohio, but they seem to have a pretty good chess scene. So hopefully you can make that happen at some point. Um, and Courtney, could you, so you mentioned that you played as a kid. Um, could you just give us a little more context of sort of what level you were when you came back to chess uh, after having played as a kid? Oh, sure. So when I I started in uh, kindergarten, kind of in the scholastic um chess after school programs and um i played all through high school um but it wasn't like a super serious kind of thing we didn't really get like one-on-one instruction or anything like that so i think my uscf rating was probably about 1200 like maximum i would say i only played a few tournaments um and then when i came back it as an adult um i know online ratings are a little um not the most accurate, but it seemed like most of the time I was somewhere in the neighborhood of like 1400 to like very low 1500. So um, like on Lee Chess, for example. Yeah, I feel like Lee Chess rapid ratings in particular, um, they really, they make it so much harder for everyone because they do tend to be a bit inflated. But the good thing is, I mean, a gain is a gain. So, you know, uh, 1500 something to 1900 something, like, you know, whatever that translates to, it's still at least a 300 point gain in whatever system you prefer. Um, and, you know, yeah, we're not so much. Point. Yeah. And it's not so much a contest anyway. It's more just about sort of hearing what people have accomplished. We do like it when people have made some gains, um, even though I'm, I'm hardly one <laughs> judge recently, um, but we all have our slumps. Um, but anyway, I mean, it, it's been great progress that you've shown in the past year. So why don't we just dive right into your your comeback? So probably inspired a bit by quarantine. And then at what point did you say, Courtney, okay, I'm going to get serious? So um, the funny thing about it, I mean, chess improvement was always an interest of mine. So I had been listening to your podcast for um, a couple of years, at least, and kind of trying to see what other people did. But the the main impetus was um, because COVID happened, I couldn't do my normal social thing. So kind of as a treat to myself, I was like, you know what, I think I'm going to try to find a chess coach um, that maybe can help me um, figure out why I'm not improving or, you know, just kind of to have fun. Um, So I would say basically it was the coaching that really kind of, inspired the um desire to improve it was kind of like i um i started coaching um with uh yuri krikun and um after that i started noticing wow there are really some major issues with my chess game that i wasn't aware of and after we started working on some of those issues i started noticing oh like i'm actually playing a lot better and so it was kind of a I guess instead of a vicious cycle, a virtuous cycle where, um, you know, I was having fun and I was improving. So I just kept on with the, with the chess coaching, um, in the form of a weekly lesson. Uh, but really the, the main reason I kind of started the coaching was just because 
um, I was going crazy, not being able to do anything social um, because of COVID and just, I thought it would be a fun thing to do once a week. So. Yeah, I've been getting coaching from Grandmaster Axel Bachman and he does an amazing job. And I, I, f- I feel like it holds me mildly accountable, but for me, it also, it's, it's more like a, a check-in. I mean, it's not, you know, he's not giving me homework and checking it. And some weeks I'll tell him like, you know, I, I had a good week. I put in a lot of hours and other weeks I'll be like, sorry, Axel, you know, it just, just didn't happen this week. Um, and I think that can be a, a good, uh, a good way to approach it. If, if, if it's within one's budget, although obviously, um, you know, those of you listening who are more hard driving, like props to you as well, you know, and we should mention, of course, uh, uh, Yuri Kraken has been on the podcast FM at the time that he was on the podcast, but shortly thereafter, he um, earned the IM title. And I've heard a f- few others speak highly of him as a coach. Um, so shout out to Yuri. Now, um, Courtney, you mentioned that he, you, once you started working um, with Yuri, you sort of quickly uh, dialed in on some weaknesses in your game. Could you elaborate on that a bit? <laughs> Yes. Um, so I think one of the biggest ones was not being able to play dynamically or, or in an attacking way. Um, so, and I'm not just saying this because one of Yuri's courses is the dynamic Italian, but it is a very good course. Um, but basically what I noticed was, um, I would, I would get these positions where I had like a little bit of a lead in development as white, for example, um, but then after that, uh, instead of like, you know, pre- pressing in the center, putting pressure on my opponent, um, I would make some sort of passive move, um, like move a, a corner pawn or something like that. And all of the advantage would just sort of evaporate. Um, but after I was able to kind of focus on like, no, you need to keep the pressure on your opponent, try to force them to make mistakes, all of a sudden, not only were my games way more like fun and exciting to play, but I was also doing better. So interesting, yeah. And and Courtney, like we're both dads, and one thing I've noticed in my life um, is I've become a bit more risk averse. And I've actually been kind of batting around a theory because um, Axel made a similar observation about my chess, but specifically my blitz game. But basically, um, in blitz in particular, you know it, you know. Uh, fortune favors the brave you could say <laughs> like it's it's good to just like uh put your opponent under pressure and see what happens rather than like you know be obsessed with whether your move is um completely accurate um and i was thinking you know i wasn't like that when i was younger and it's not necessarily to me like at least in this case a sort of chest strength thing it's more just like you know your your brain is fully developed now and somehow sometimes that can be like um um that can be like a hindrance in chess. So it's funny to hear you describe a similar uh, issue. <laughs> yeah. And I think, for example, sometimes I used to think that, um, for example, if I couldn't see like a forced win or like a tangible capture of a piece, a lot of times I would just kind of give up on playing aggressively or, or playing an attacking game. Um, whereas after, uh, I saw some more examples and learned a little more opening theory. It was sort of like, even if you can't calculate all the way to a line, you just have to keep the pressure on and keep causing your opponent problems. Like, even if they're not always huge problems, like if you keep causing them problems and not letting them feel comfortable, they're going to more be more likely to make a mistake. So. Yeah, calls to mind something I've mentioned before, Jonathan Rousen's uh, theory of infinite resistance that he writes about in uh, Seven Deadly Chess Sins, which, of course, uh, when David Franklin and I recap that book, I also mentioned. Um, and you notice that a lot, or I do in strong players' games. They're just uh, amazingly resourceful at like uh, keeping the pressure on, and it's something you and I uh, can can definitely learn from. Um, so Courtney, you've obviously, you mentioned that your emphasis has been Lee chess rapid. Um, just out of curiosity, rapid can mean like, you know, a reasonably wide range of time controls. So what do you have a preferred time control? Yeah. My preferred time control is, um, 10 minutes with a five second increment. Um, when, when I started taking the lessons, um, one of Yuri's golden rules was no bullet, <laughs> at least Good, if you're, yeah. at least if you're looking to improve. Uh, so 
basically, um, the recommendation was to focus on, on rapid chess, um, and like blitz is okay too, but by the time you're getting down to bullet, it's kind of like, are you even playing chess at that point? You know, like the grandmasters and high level players can do it, but for someone like me, it's like, are probably not really learning a whole lot. So yeah, definitely good advice. And yeah. And bullet, uh, that's come up of course, a number of times on the podcast. It's, uh, the faster the time control, the more addicting it could be. So uh, that, that's very true. Yeah. So speaking of um, of vicious cycles. So Courtney, we've got a related question from a fellow student of Yuri's. But first, we're going to take a break and hear from our sponsors. Perpetual Chess is brought to you in part by AimChess.com. If you haven't checked out AimChess.com by now, what are you waiting for? What AimChess does is it collects your games from the major chess sites and then gives you actionable advice of how to improve your game. It might be to work on a specific opening or to get better at end games or improve your time management or whatever it may be. And then it gives you related puzzles to help you improve that specific skill. They are constantly improving the site. They recently added blindfold tactics, time management training, common checkmate patterns. So there's so much to do there. If you decide to subscribe, be sure to use the promo code PERPETUAL30. Details are in the show notes for aimchess.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we are back, and we are going to dive into a question from the Patreon mailbag. Uh, the p- listeners who support Perpetual Chess are able to find out the guests in advance and submit uh, questions of interest. And this one is from friend of the pod, Daniel Schleith. And Daniel says, uh, hey, Dr. Fry, I'm also a student of yours, and I was wondering how you settled on the openings that you play. How did you decide you like the structures from the openings? And lastly, how you study them, whether it's chessable, Lee chess studies, chess tempo, etc. I saw you play the Evans Gambit in the accelerated Rosalimo, which Yuri has courses on. I play as Rosalimo opening two, but only after a lot of trial and error with other openings against the Sicilian. Yuri had had originally recommended the Alapin as I'm pretty low rated, but Yuri is happy to teach me whatever I want to play and recommend what he thinks. Uh, I'm just providing that for context. Thanks. Yeah, that's a, a good question. Thanks uh, for that. Um, the funny story is I had a pretty incomplete opening repertoire, which may have been one of the reasons why I did find it so helpful to study openings. So for example, my whole life, I played generally the King's Gambit as white, and I played the French defense as black as like my main openings, and everything else I kind of just was winging it. Um, and I would say the King's Gambit in particular did not really serve me that well. Like a lot of times I wasn't getting great positions against, you know, players that were similar level to me. So um, that is one benefit from having a coach was, you know, I, I pretty much said at the beginning, I play the King's Gambit, it's not going super well. And um, my coach was like, well, why don't you play the Italian? And that was kind of the conversation. Um, It was just sort of like, in that particular case, I just I wasn't happy. I just wanted to get rid of the King's Gambit. And he had a a suggestion that um, was very good was the Italian. And if they go into the main line, uh, from there, you go with the Evans Gambit. So that's one that I've I've really enjoyed. Um, I think it's also important to pick openings that you think are fun, like the positions arising from them. So for me, um, I think the Evans Gambit's positions are are great, at least at my level. Um, they always end there. It's a very imbalanced position. Um, lots of dynamic chances for white, but probably black too, if they play accurately. Um, and then from a different point of view with the French, I was pretty happy with the French. So we decided just to stick with that. You know, it's like, oh, it's a, a reasonable opening. I've played it for a long time. We just need to tune it up a little bit. So I would say it to try and answer your question. I would say it depends if you're 
generally happy with the openings you have or if there's maybe one that you just really want to get rid of. Um, I'm trying to see if I answered the whole question there or not. Oh, how do you study the um, how do you study the openings? So um, for me, um, Chessable was really really helpful for openings. Um, I think I've tried to study openings from books in the past, and I've struggled a little bit because I, I either have to set up a chessboard and you know follow along with every line, which kind of takes a long time. Um, or I have to rely on my visualization, which is not very good right now. Uh, so for me, actually being able to see the positions, like every move, that was something that I found really helpful. And I also found the the repetition of actually doing the moves was also really helpful. So for, for me, I think that openings is one of the, the best uses of Chessable. I'm not sure if you'd agree with that, Ben, but for me, it's been really helpful. Yeah, for me, it's it's not only that, it's even stronger. And again, caveat, of course, Chessable is a sponsor of the show. <laughs> um, but I'm just speaking from my experiences here. Um, I, like, I'll sometimes have openings that I'm trying to learn without a Chessable course being available. And, you know, I'm a strong enough and experienced enough player where that's, you know, I'm old enough to remember when that's all I did. I either had opening books or I just, I'm, yeah, I have chess base as well. So I would use the opening explorer and the engine to figure things out on my own um, and look at what top players are doing. But now I'm so used to the move trainer from Chessable. And I find when I make the courses myself, I'm not facile enough with the software to make it like the way I want it, the way it would be if it were like a purchase course. So often it's like, I'll know, I'll know what lines I want in it, but I'll just be like, man, I wish someone would just like publish it so I could buy it rather than like have to use my own stuff. So yeah, I'm definitely, um, definitely hooked on Chessable when it comes to openings more so than, than some of their other um, sort of uh, more, more general uh, courses. And yeah, that's good advice about the Evans Gambit. I've noticed that it's, um, I think it's, I, and I think I probably mentioned this when I talked to Yuri because he, his course was relatively recent and I picked it up in connection with interviewing him. I mean, I think it's generally maybe underrated because top players won't play it because top players really can't give up a pawn in like a dynamic opening in most cases in the engine age. But at the club level, I've, I've found that white is often getting fantastic positions and I've even messed around with it a little bit. And what I notice is, uh, the players often slow down because um, be when you play the Evans because they they don't know the theory as well as even the Roy Lopez of course or the even the quiet Italian as it were. So I think it's uh, it's definitely a good a good choice. Um, and I think that answers Daniel's question. But I think on a sort of related topic, Courtney, you've mentioned that generally you feel like a big part of your improvement has come from opening study. And um, as you alluded to an email to me, that's a bit un- unusual for most of the adult improvers that, that I interviewed. So, um, so why do you think things have been different for you? Um, I think there's a couple of reasons. Um, one of them, this is one I think is really important, but I just find studying them really enjoyable inherently. And I think it's important to try not to fight against like what you enjoy studying in chess, especially if it's sort of a, like a hobby and something you you don't want to do is necessarily like your full-time job. I think I think it can I think for example if you're like, well, I really enjoy studying openings, um but instead I'm just going to like grind out end games for the next 2 years. It's, <laughs> right. it's like easy to get kind of a little bit discouraged. And so that was one reason is just like I just really enjoy it and you know, the more you enjoy something, the more you're going to be enthused about sitting down and trying to really learn it. Um, I think the other reason, this is an argument I've heard some people say, but it's kind of like, well, you start with the opening, you know, like you're always going to have an opening in your chess game. So might as well try to get started on the right foot. So I think for me in particular, because I was always getting started on the wrong foot with white, for example, uh, like just playing like a probably not that good, you know, version of the King's Gambit when I actually started playing openings that were reasonably good, um, I felt like that was just kind of a, a bonus in and of itself, I guess. Um, and then the third reason I would say is, um, 
pattern recognition. So for me, I don't think my ability to calculate has improved that much, but I think my pattern recognition in the games that I play has improved immensely. So for example, if you know your openings well, you sort of know the middle game positions that tend to arise from them. You tend to know what plans are good, where to put your pieces. You tend to um, know what tactics, what tactical themes you should be looking out for. And, you know, maybe a grandmaster or a really strong player would just see that kind of stuff in every position. But I find that since I know my openings better and I know the middle games better, I sort of automatically become a better tactician if I'm playing positions that I'm familiar with. Yeah, that that makes sense. And and for a little more context again, Courtney, like how many games a week do you think you're typically playing? And then I'd I'd like to hear a little bit about your approach to to analyzing them for for uh, pattern recognition, as you say. Yeah, um, I would say probably in a week. I would say on average maybe like. 10 games or something like that. Oh, wow. That. That's not that many. Yeah. I, I mean, mean it's, it's a lot of time, as I'm sure like uh, your significant other might attest. But uh, yeah. But, and, and I could be misrecollecting a little bit. I'm sure like sometimes it's 20 or something, but it's certainly not tons and tons of games. And I, I guess what I tend to do is um, I pick like a couple to analyze more deeply. Um, I don't necessarily analyze every single game, even though maybe I should. But oftentimes I I try to choose one where I didn't just make a really obvious blunder that just ruined the whole game or something. I I try to pick one where it was like, you know, either I just got destroyed and I just had no idea what I was doing wrong or or maybe one that was was kind of close, but I somehow let the the positions slip away. So I try to choose ones to discuss with the coach that are um, like of some learning value, I guess Uh, every now and again, I'll stick a win in there just to make myself feel better. But, you know, I I definitely think you tend to learn more from the games that you lose. Okay. So you mentioned reviewing the games with Yuri. Now, are you reviewing them on your own aside from that? Or like, what's the general system? Yeah. So in an ideal world, um, what I do is I review them myself and I, um, I, I put them into a Lee chess study that we share and I annotate them first. Now I will confess there are times when, uh, you know, the, the kids are screaming all week and, uh, work was busy. There have been times where I have not analyzed them myself first and we've just analyzed them together. But I would say in an ideal world, you should try to analyze it first without your coach. Um, The other, I guess, tip that I was given is I try not to use the engine um, when I'm analyzing, especially if I know I'm going to be analyzing it with uh, the coach later. Um, I just sometimes for players like me that aren't, you know, I'm not even necessarily at an, like an expert level. I think sometimes the philosophy is that the engine can almost give you a little too much information to the point where it's kind of a distraction and you don't really necessarily have the, the tools to understand why the engine is evaluating the position like it's evaluating it so it's kind of um i think sometimes overemphasis on an on the engine can be pretty detrimental to players that are not currently at a really like a like an expert level like if you're intermediate or a beginner i don't think using the engine is necessarily the best idea yeah um yeah obviously that's advice that has been given many times on the show, but as you alluded to, uh, much easier said than done. So are you, so of course, chess.com has its report feature and Lee Chess has its request computer analysis uh, feature where they'll like highlight the blunders and help you with that. So are you even not looking at that? Because I can, I can, I mean, I'm not playing a lot of slow games, at least not yet. So there's not as much temptation for that. But when I play a blitz game, I just auto click it. I just can't resist. So I'm just curious. Yeah, I actually don't look at it 
very often. Sometimes I will do it if I feel like I'm really stumped on a certain opening line. I'll, I'll use a combination. I tend to go for the database first, okay. um, like to, to see, you know, what stronger players did in a similar position. Because I actually find that for me to be a little bit more helpful than the engine sometimes. Um, and then I actually don't use the request analysis feature that often, only only rarely, I would say. Um, but it just to more fully answer your questions, like there literally are times where I didn't realize that I blundered like a pawn or like a piece or something. So you, you definitely don't get as much information. Uh, like I, I'm not saying blunder checking with the engine is wrong. It's just um, sometimes the 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 downsides of using the engine I think can outweigh the upsides depending on your level. But I, I'm definitely not going to say anyone's like wrong for blunder checking their games with the engine. I mean, because yeah, sometimes in my analysis I just I totally don't see a, a tactic or something like that. So right. Yeah, I mean, but for me, it, it helps with blunder checking, but it also just helps with uh, turning points in the game. Like, you know, those little moves where you lose half a point and you're like, oh, that's weird. You know, like nothing, nothing major changed, but you lose, you lost half a point. Um, and then, you know, I'll try to futz around with it from there and look at other moves and try to figure out what's different. Um, and I'm probably successful more often than not at like, at least like uh, gathering a theory of what the engine doesn't like about a move. But uh, of course, not always. And of course, like the lower the level one is, the harder that's going to be, which again is why it's uh, it's good that you have a coach. Now, one thing I'm curious about in hearing your approach, Courtney, is um, I think a lot of players at the club level, when they're learning an opening, um, the moves they see often will have kind of, so it's like you're doing your chessable course and maybe as you do, you enjoy studying the openings and learning the lines. But I think often you might just see moves that are like reasonable or seem okay, but they're just like not really theory, you know? And, yes. and thinking about your repertoire in particular, I think with the Evans, that may, might be slightly less of the case because you're just giving them a pawn and it's fairly dynamic and there's like a fairly small number of branches on the tree from the moment they take the pawn of like, it's concrete, what happens. But when you're playing the French, like they can just go D3 on the second move or Queen E2, you know, or play some quiet move like anywhere along the line. So as as someone who loves openings, like how do you approach those kind of cop-out systems? Like for example, here's like, uh, I have, a, I have uh, someone I've been working with, uh, shout out to Joe if he's listening, but he's been learning the Sicilian. Um, and, you know, wants to play, actually, this is kind of a testament to what I'm saying, because I can't even remember what line of the Sicilian he wants to play, because it's never main line, you know, uh. like, it goes like E4, C5, <laughs> and, they, and they never, ever play D4 against the Sicilian. It's always like, it might be like an Alapin, you know, or a closed Sicilian, but it might just be like Bishop C4, you know, like on the second move or on the third move. So it's a bit frustrating when you're like trying to learn openings, but you just see these moves that are basically like not terrible, but not really like in the discourse, you know? So anyway, long question, but how, how do you handle that sort of thing? Yeah, no, I think that's a good idea or a good question rather. Um, I guess there's a couple of ideas that I have. So one is definitely for someone that's starting out, I would focus most on the lines that you see most commonly. So there's always going to be someone that plays like, I don't know, H5 or something, or like, you know, it's like, like just randomly out of the opening. And if it happens once or twice, I tend to just kind of ignore it a little bit. But if I start getting things happening over and over again, where it's like, ah, I don't know what to do against this line, then I'll try to make a note of it, um, like in my little notes program, and maybe try to look at some grandmaster games and or, or not grandmaster, but generally, like, higher level, maybe international master, something like that. And um, try to see what their approach was. So for example, maybe they were able to transpose into a an opening system that you are more familiar with, something like that. Um, but I do think that is a, a bit of a struggle 
um, for a lot of players. And that's actually something that I still find kind of annoying where when your opponent like dodges your whole opening by, right. I don't know, Fian Ketoing their bishop or something right off the bat. Um, I do think um, some of the opening repertoire books for geared for slightly lower rated players have also been helpful for me. Um, so there was one in particular on Chessable that I wanted to get a shout out to because I feel like it's horribly underrated. Uh, have you ever checked out the, it's like a scholastic book called My First Opening Repertoire. And it was it was put out by um, Lauren DaCosta and uh, Nick Murphy. I'm not familiar with it, no. Yeah, it's on Chessable and it has a picture of like a child's backpack on it. So I think it's one of those things where a lot of adults would see that and be like, well, I'm far too advanced for, for this. <laughs> right. But like for me, it is a very appropriate level of theory. Um, so that's a, actually a source that I've used to fill in some of the holes in the repertoire. Because for example, they um, they recommend, I think it's the King's Indian attack uh, kind of setup for white against a whole variety of um, black setups and sometimes you can kind of transition into that structure if the opponent is kind of making random moves that that aren't bad but they aren't good either um, so I think having some kind of a system uh, like a, a general pawn structure or setup against kind of like a general um, less theoretical opening could be a good a good idea um, have you in being a little higher rated than me, is that something that, that works for you having like one setup to go to when you're, you're um, kind of unsure where your opponent's going with their opening? Um, not, not entirely sure what you mean by the, by the question. Could you, could you explain it a little more? Yeah. So for example, um, in this, uh, repertoire book they recommend um, that you could use the king's indian attack setup against like multiple different um kind of non-standard black openings so i w- was wondering if at the higher levels that's still the case yeah that's i would say it's probably less likely at least it's uh, less common at least it's less common in my games i mean you know s- stronger players they they do sometimes have like ways to quote unquote punt you know, within their opening repertoires. But I think more commonly you'll see like you've got a specific way to punt against each opening, you know, where like, you know, it could be like three queen takes D4 against the Sicilian or the aforementioned some sort of King's Indian attack against the French, like you say. Um, and then, of course, there's the straight up systems like the Colin or the Collie or the London or the Stonewall or something like that. And those have their place, too. But those those are more holistic, I would say. Um, it's not like I do this only against the, you know, I do this setup against the King's Indian. It's like I just do this setup and they they do what they do. So I think it's a little bit different, but um, but as you say, whatever whatever someone enjoys, um, I think is a good way to go. And I actually want to get more into how that sort of how all this opening talk fits into your overall like the pie of your chess study. But first, we're gonna take uh, one more break and hear from our sponsors. Perpetual Chess is proud to be brought to you in part by Chessable.com. Chessable, of course, is known for its proprietary move trainer technology, which utilizes space repetition to quiz you and make sure that you remember whatever tactical patterns or opening sequences that you're working on. They have a huge catalog of great books from top flight authors, both for purchase. And if you check for their short and sweet courses, you can find tons of free content. Speaking of free content, Chessable, of course, has also recently launched an adult improvement focused chess podcast called How to Chess with yours truly hosting it. Check for it on Chessable's YouTube channel, and you can also subscribe on the podcast platforms. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. 
And we are back. So, Courtney, I feel like we've, we're slowly, we're peeling back the curtain of your chess approach. And uh, we've gotten probably a pretty good glimpse, but I still want to have the sort of full picture. So, mainly what I'm wondering is if you add up all your chess hours, um, we, we've established you're probably playing about 10 games a week, which, you know, if they're 20-minute games, that's 200 minutes. Maybe you're doing, sounds like a bit of analysis on top of that, but not a ton. And then you've got like your actual lessons. So it sounds like when it's all said and done, it might be adding up to something like 10 hours or something like that. Now, the question is, are we leaving anything out? Now, you mentioned an email, you're not a big fan of puzzles, um, which I definitely would like to hear you talk about. Um, and then I'm just curious, is there, any, is there anything else that we haven't mentioned that's been a part of your, all the success that you've had in the past year? Um, let's see. So just so I don't forget, um, one, I guess we did talk about, um, the fact that unfortunately my chess books tend to sit on the shelf, but I do, um, watch chess videos. Um, most of the ones, um, that I've done are through the, the chessable courses, you know, some of them are a little bit expensive, but they go on sale frequently and I find them to be very focused and high quality. So a lot of times what I'll do is um, I usually end up doing my chess after the kids go to bed and I, I tend to be sort of tired for the day. Um, so instead of having to get out a chess set or anything like that, I'll, I'll either do chessable or um, sometimes a little more commonly, I'll stick on one of the videos that they have and I'll um, watch the video like sometimes even when I'm laying in bed kind of getting ready to go to sleep. Um, and what all, what happens is I, I watch the videos multiple times most <laughs> because, you know, I, maybe I dozed off like in the middle on the first time, but I almost use it like a book where I keep coming back to the video and I try to focus on um, things that I missed the first time around. So that's one piece of advice for people is I would say, don't just watch, like if it's a chess video that you're really trying to learn, like an opening system or something, don't just watch the video one time. You should watch it multiple times. And then, you know, when I, when I do have some chess time, um, where I'm a little more energetic, I actually like take notes on the videos and, um, maybe, uh, put together like a, Lee chess um, study where I put down some of the lines that I have trouble remembering. So I would, th that's one thing I would mention is that even if you're using videos instead of books, if you can find a way to make it at least some of the times when you're watching it, if you can try to make it a little more active, that's helpful. And um, if you are just more passively watching the videos, I would say watch them multiple times and try to focus on um, the things that you didn't pick up the first time. Yeah, great advice. And that's something that a uh, recent Adult Improver guest, Braden Lachlan, also keyed on that I hadn't thought about because I have mentioned a few times how I have trouble paying. I catch myself not paying attention to videos if I try to consume chess content that way. But uh, for some reason, the idea of just watching it again and again hadn't hadn't occurred to me. So you mentioned, of course, I know you're a fan of Yuri's chessable courses. So is it generally in those situations like um, the opening courses that, that you previously mentioned? Are there any others that you've found useful, like anything middle game or end game focused? Um, let's see. Uh, so, yeah, definitely the my first opening repertoire books um, white and black, I both found those to be good. Even if you don't use every opening that they recommend, I, I find it, I found it helpful to fill in holes uh, in your repertoire. Um, the other one, so I, I have, even though I, I would say I haven't done as many puzzles as other people um, on here, I did find Crafty Raft's uh, Checkmates pattern manual yeah. to be super helpful. Like that was actually one of the first things I did even before um, getting coaching, like when I was getting back into chess, I found that one to be like, gold <laughs> yeah strong so. strong recommendation for that that's uh, one of chessable's most popular courses actually um which when you've done it it's it's not really surprising um definitely and i would say i mean i there's it trips me up at times too but i would say like definitely if you're rated say what, what do you think courtney below 1600 or something yeah um, um i think it's the, like you say it's just it's just gold it's just so well done 
Yeah, and I mean, I had I was one of those kids where I had done all the made in one books and things like that when I was younger, and there were still patterns that I wasn't familiar with either because I forgot them or maybe had never seen them before. Okay, um, and you're but you're basically never doing tactics trainers. Um, I would say very rarely at that this point. I would say the um, the the caveat is I might change in the future. Mm-hmm. So, like for example, if I if I end up kind of not improving as much, or if I want to focus on my calculation, I do think there's a chance I might grind out more tactics um, like in the future. But I just I guess I just wanted to emphasize to people that like you don't it's not the only way to improve because I feel like if you go on Reddit and and other chess forums it's just kind of given as standard advice. It's just like, oh, you should just do a million tactics and you'll become like a grandmaster. And I don't think it's necessarily, um, I don't think it's necessarily required. And I don't necessarily think it's always as beneficial as um, people say, like if you're just only doing tactics and nothing else, I, I just, I just find it to be not super exciting. And it, it's not something that makes me want to, get up in the morning and and do chess, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. And what you said about like being tired when the kids go to bed definitely resonated with me because I've, I've mentioned before, I sort of feel like I should be doing calculation training, but, but on the other hand, as you, as you alluded to, like that for me is going to feel like work. Whereas like, you know, if I'm watching a, a basketball game or something, and I take out my phone and I review some opening lines like, you know, it's not hurting my chest. That's for sure. And like, it's something. So, um, yeah, it's, it's always sort of a tricky balance for for us uh, improvers um, to, to find. Um, so I just have a couple more questions, I think, Courtney. Number one is like, does does. Um, does I am Yuri Kraken, does he give you any sort of like big picture feedback? Does he tell you like you have this strength and this weakness or is it more sort of like micro? You're just looking at your games and like any broader lessons are to be extrapolated just from the, the micro lessons. Um, yeah, I would say like from day to day we focus on the micro, but then like maybe every third lesson or so we kind of, he'll kind of come up with, uh, with something that is kind of like, we, we really need to focus on this because I've noticed that you're making this, this category of mistake over and over again. And, and for me, the big one that I had to break was just like not playing aggressively enough or, or actively enough, I guess. Um, and that that was that was like the biggest example of like a glaring flaw in my game that was holding me back that I just was not aware of at all. Um, okay, that's that's good to know. And dare I ask? I mean, I feel like you've revealed enough about your repertoire where you might as well uh, <laughs> reveal the rest. Um, so, what are you doing against D four and closed systems, and how, how often are you encountering them? So with D four. Um, we went with the Queen's Gambit declined, just kind of the standard one. I'll be the first to admit, I that's probably my uh, the playing against one d four. I have less experience with that, and I I'm not like crushing people in the Queen's Gambit declined, like uh, you know. So I would say that's an area that I should probably focus a little bit more on the future. And I don't know. I know there's like a million different variations of d4, and I do not know all of them. So that's one where I'm still currently winging it just a little bit. So. Yeah, understandable. Well, that if you're going to wing it, the Queen's Gambit declines a good choice. Um and. And I find it to be very intuitive, um, I, I, which is good. And I think it's instructive, the sort of uh, push and pull of, uh, of, of that opening. And of course, uh, I'll give a shout out to Alex Cholovich. I like his Queen's Gambit decline course on, on Chessable. That makes sense. Um, one thing I may have forgot to mention is I would be really careful, um, like even though I am advocating studying openings, I would say it's important to do it in a certain way. So the one of the most important things is not to choose the material that the student studies. It should be appropriate for their level and maybe a, even a little bit easier than you think it should be. Like, for example, for me, like I felt like I got a lot out of that scholastic book because I feel like it is not necessarily helpful um 
you don't necessarily want to watch like super grandmasters play and and like you know try to do try to duplicate their openings because the way they play is just so um so much different than the way a club level player would would play and i feel like so for example you really need sources that are um gonna explain well what happens like you know if your opponent does take the does do this pawn capture even though it's not a good move like what are you supposed to do against it whereas if you are um reading something more high level they may not even really discuss the move just because everyone can see that it's a bad move at a certain level yeah i think that's a very common frustration for for club level players so so that's a good insight and hearing you talk about sort of top level chess just out of curiosity, Courtney, like, do you, do you follow it? Like, I feel like I, I talk about it a lot on the podcast, but then during adult improver interviews, it doesn't come up that much. So I'm just curious. Yeah. So I actually don't follow it very closely. I do get in- excited when I, you know, see that one of my player favorite players has won a tournament, but I would say currently I'm more focused on my own study uh, right now. Um, Oh, and another just peripherally related tip. Um, I would also recommend to people, if you are going to try to learn from a database or something like that, um, sometimes it's better not to try to look at the highest possible level of play. Um, For example, one tip I was given was you can actually uh, search in LeeChess, the LeeChess free database. You can mess with the search parameters. So for example, you can take out bullet and blitz so that those don't show up because you know you're probably not going to get great um, opening uh, theory from those types of games. And then you can also sort by the ratings of um, the players. And sometimes it's better to choose a rating of a player that's like a lot better than you, but not necessarily at the grandmaster level. Or for example, you want to see a game where, like, for example, an international master was playing someone significantly weaker in a similar position and see how they really just kind of mopped the floor with them. Those games sometimes are more instructive, I think, for lower rated players than watching two super grandmasters duke it out and you never actually see any of the tactics because they're all so good at avoiding them yeah really good advice yeah um definitely agree yeah and and i think it might have been my friend rob i don't know if you saw that on twitter because my friend rob shared some similar advice the other day about the Lee Chess explorer and i've definitely been been meaning to check that out um so who are your favorite players i think probably my last question but uh you mentioned um, yeah, so um, I really like Anish Giri. Um, I just think he's seems like a really nice guy, and uh, um, that's one of the players that I follow. And I know he plays the French sometimes, so that's kind uh, yeah, of yeah. He's my, got the French course, no less, exactly. So. so that's one of my uh, favorite players. Um, but I also always love uh, Carlson. Of course, I, I can't stop rooting for him at least a little bit, even though he's the the top dog. So yeah, I feel similarly. Cool. Well, great stuff, Courtney. You've shared a lot of awesome tips. Um, have Have we left any out, or have you revealed all your secrets by now? Um, I think uh, I've only got one more secret to reveal. Um, Yuri said he. I had to tell people that um, he refers to me as the Beast from Ohio. I'm not <laughs> quite sure that I've earned that uh, nickname yet, but I am. I am. Uh, I'm trying to get there. So that's oh, you, my... bur- you buried the lead there. <laughs> 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 if only I'd known. Um, awesome. All right. Yeah. And again, shout out to Yuri. Obviously, uh, he's he's doing good work helping you out. Um, and and thanks again, Courtney. It was great to uh, the the listeners won't see it, but it's great to put a face to a name and uh, and uh, great to hear about all of uh, your success. That sounds good. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks to everyone who helps make Perpetual Chess possible, most of all to my producer, Matthew Passy. I also would like to thank everyone who helped spread the word about the show. Did you guys know that there's still people who have not heard of the Perpetual Chess podcast? There's even chess players who have not heard of the Perpetual Chess podcast. So we need to fix that. And the ways to do that include writing positive reviews on podcast platforms or YouTube comments telling friends, all that stuff makes a difference in helping spread the word about the show. But of course, I most of all want to thank people who provide financial support to the show. Without you all, Perpetual Chess 
would not be possible. So without further ado, I would like to give thanks to the following people and entities. Chessable.com, David Lazarus of LazmanChess.com, coach of Dave's Young Tigers on Lee Chess, Quality Chess Books, the Capital City Chess Club, the Abysmal Depths of Chess Blog, Adapta Interactive Web Designs and Services, Chess Twitch Channel, Anidi Deer, Austin Clough, Benjamin Porteau, Bill Sigler, Kathy Carr, Chad Oliver, the Charlotte Chess Center, the Chess Central's Chess Blog, ChessMood.com, Chris Flanagan, Chris Lott, Dan O'Hanlon, Daniel Heath, Danny Davidson, David Mitchell, David Schreiber, I am Dimitri Snyder, I am Eric Rosen, Eric Tam, Farhan Thawar, Barasawaf, Gary Foreman, Glenn Downing, Greg Harfst, I am Greg Shahadi, Gregory Gullick, James Holyhead, James Kennedy, Jay Garrison, Jeff Martinson, Jeff Schaefer, Jeremy Nielsen, John Jernigan, John Rockefeller, John MacArthur, Kevin Forsythe, Kevin O'Callaghan, King Sell, the King's Crusher YouTube channel, Lucio Casada Silva, the law offices of Stuart Katz, Matthew Feeney, Michael Can, FM Michael Oblin, Mr. Mike Shahadi, the famous Mr. Dodgy, the Nerd Nays Twitch channel, Grandmaster Peter Prohaska, Peter Sodi, Philip Flummins, the Playmore Chess Academy of the Hamden Chess Club, Reuven Fisher, Ross Crossland, Seattle Chess Club, Shane Unger, Stefan Kelty, Stephen Martinez, Sven Gerson, Thomas Stanix, Thomas Tachenko, Todd Bryant of StrongChess.com, Todd Kennedy, The Vintage Patsers, which is a Chess.com improver group, Wayne Beam, William Hogarth, and I also would like to thank Ace Viega, Adam Ralph of ChessEngland.com, Adrian Gutierrez, Al Hastings, Alan and Maggie Sue. Alex Pejas, Alexander Markovitz, Antonio Cancino, Antonio K. Leonfort, FM Andre Terakov, Dr. Andrew Perry, Angus McLeod, Barry Hessian, Bill Juniper, Bill Moran, Bill Trammell, Brad and Andy Rosen, Brett Howard, Lynn, Brian, Chase, Brian Mullis, Bruce Scott, Brian Tillis of Palm Beach Chess, Cameron Davis, Chad Hilton, Chesspatzer, Spain, Dr. Charles Snodgrass, Chris Kiefer, Chris Wayne Scott, Christopher Baumgartner, Christopher Shabri, Christopher Wood, I am Christoph Zalecki, a.k.a. Chess Explained, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, Costa Carras, Courtney Fry, Craig Mallon, Daniel Ginsberg, Daniel Naylor, Dave Saylor, David Blaskotschek, David Brown, David Hamblin, David Cramley, Dalen Shelton, Tennis Parrish, FM Donnie Ariel, Dwayne Edmonds, Ed Daly, Ed Mead, Edwin Rodriguez, Ethan Smith, Evan Rosenberg, Ewan Richardson, Ian Mason, Felipe Melo Padilla, Fox Valley Chess Club of Aurora, Illinois, Francis Latart Lavoir, Dr. Frank Tortoris, Frank Zananis, Gary Andrews, Gary Lewis, Gautam Narula, Gene Stewart, George Harris, Giovanni Russo, Han Shute, Harish Srinivasan, Howard Bihan, Jacob Kovach, Jason Apollo, Jason Murray, Jacques Perry, James Aspinwall, James Benastia, James Muir, Jason Woolham, Jadeep Chakrabarty, Jeff Anderson, Jeffrey Martello, Yep Hoyland, Jerry Wells, Jesse Takumos, Jesse McNulty, Jim Ratliff, Joe Dasano, Joe Valdez, Joel Thomas Ramos, John McAdams, John Tully, Juan Almagar, Dr. John Fallon, John Fernandez, John Fontaine, John Hartman, John Jeffrey, John McMurtry, Jonathan Slater, John Quist, John Tully, Jose Rodriguez, Justin Gardner, WGM Jen Shahadi, Joel Rocky, John Thompson, Grandmaster Josh Friedel, I am Kare Christensen, WGM Katarina Nemsova, Kelly Palmer, Kevin Pryor, I am Kostya Kravutsky, Krishna Gopala Krishnan, Kyle McAvoy, Larry Cook, Larry Ryforth, Laura Boyovsky, Macaulay Peterson, Maria Emelyanovas, aka Photo Chess, Mark Shaves, Mark Fitzpatrick, Mark Miller, Mark Wilkins, Marco Bulatovich, Martin Knudsen, Martin Krug, Matthew Tedesco of SeattleChessMeetup.org, Matthias Plock, the Mechanics Institute Chess Club of San Francisco, Michael Allard, Michael Hudson, Mike Clem, Mitchell Fabian, Nate Gobel, Nate Solon, Neil Bruce, Negmat Malajanov, Nicholas Isabel, Olaf Mueller-Michaels, GM Pascal Charbonneau, Passy Passanen, Paul Blaine, Bain, Paul Clarkson, Paul Sweeney, Paulo Santana, Peter Lux, Queenside Management Limited of Switzerland, Randall Temple, Ricky Grijalva, Richard Hallenbach, Richard Tucker, Robert Callahan, Robert Tichi, Robert Turner, Rory Coleman, Rory Yearwood, Ryan Berg, The Say Chess YouTube Channel and Publishing Empire, Scott McKinnon, Scott Rose, Sean Krauss, Sebastian Finsterwalder, Sergey McCagan, Seth Ruzica, Sean Tracy, Silver Knights in Richmond, Stefan Roller, 
WGM Tata Vabrahamian, Thomas Brown, Tim Brennan of TacticsTime.com, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, FM Timothy Wall, Tobiah Rex, Tom Edsel, Tommy Farron, Tony Rotella, Tyron Price, Vishnu Srikumar, William Brock, William Peterson, FM Zhao Cheng of Chess1000.com, and Jivko Stoyanov. Thanks to you all for the support, and we will catch you all next week. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.